0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, back in the gondola with my main man, Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. Thanks for, for that nice introduction. Yeah. Main man. That's <laughs> Gave you the Ahmad Rashad treatment. <laughs> took me, what, three years to earn that? That's nice. Um, very interesting game tonight here. We're recording after game two. Um, DeMarcus Cousins, I think, is in line for some hero worship talk. Klay Thompson had one of the better games uh, before the injury that I've seen him play at a crucial moment. I think we joked after game one that they needed 72 from Clay. And I think, I mean, he pretty much did what he needed to do offensively and then, you know, backed it up with some pretty impressive defense during that third quarter push as well. Um, but isn't the story here kind of twofold? One, the ricketiness of Golden State with all these injuries and just putting them into situations where I don't think that they can even get four good players out of a five-man lineup and yet they're somehow running off these crazy second half runs Mm -hmm. and then simultaneously just the wheels completely falling off for toronto in that second half before sort of their desperate push there late i don't know which side do you prefer to start on golden states just kind of you know pulling a, a rabbit out of the hat yet again or dare we ask the question did toronto choke here
0: Well, it's funny because to me, the story was all about the Warriors and how badass that performance was because, you know, watching them in the first half, they looked lost. It looked like the OKC series all over again, and they were down 10 or 11 near the end of the second quarter. And honestly, it felt like they were lucky to be down even 10 or 11. They were getting a lot of friendly whistles. And it just seemed like the type of game that was going to get out of hand in the second half. And we were all going to write our little recaps midway through the third quarter and be done with the night. And then they closed the gap at the end of the first half. They made it interesting. And then once they went in down five, it was like, okay, so like maybe the Raptors are screwed here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Want to give them room to come back and and have a little life.
1: It felt like the entire basketball community scheduled a tweet that said, how are the Warriors only down five simultaneously? (laughs) Yeah. and You might have gotten in on it, too. I did. I was one of the first
0: ones. I did not realize that everyone was going to tweet that at the exact same time. And also, Twitter is just so goddamn annoying sometimes because – I wasn't legitimately asking, and there were a lot of people who like chimed in being like, well, the refs, did you see those calls? Did you see this? Did you see that? And it's like, listen, I was just remarking that it seems like the, the Warriors should feel pretty good to be down five, but that's neither here nor there. That's just a journey into my mentions halfway <laughs> through the game. Um, as far as I'm concerned, though, it was a Warriors story. But I loved running into you afterwards and hearing you say, did the Raptors just choke away that game? <laughs> I can always depend on you to be the termite skeptic and Andor ombudsman who's just kind of calling it like it is for this team. Well,
1: I'm not going to go that far. I really I'm not sure that's exactly what happened, but there were definitely some shades of second half Rockets performance is kind of like coming back to my memory where they're just rimming threes you know brick 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 and it's like try something else are you going to default to any you know what's your secondary strategy here who's going to take over who's going to step up um, and until that sort of very you know late hectic flourish they just had a lot of dead possessions a lot of dead minutes letting Golden State kind of get out turning defense into I mean, they hadn't done at all in the first six quarters of this series and this building went from so loud, just so (laughs) quiet. You know what I mean? Because they actually do a pretty good job here when Qui goes to the free throw line. They have like the coordinated shushing, you know? Uh And they like get everyone to just like quiet. Don't distract him. Don't make any noise while he's shooting his precious free throws as if that makes any difference. That same shushing sound was just...
0: They didn't have to do any shushing. No, in the second th- it was the whole third
1: quarter. They were all shushed. They had nothing to say. Uh, some of the fans left early. I can't really blame them after that Iguadala three. That was uh you know a dagger yeah i mean that's uh,
0: seven seconds left it's not that early yeah it's <laughs> well, not like miami heat fan level or anything well this is
1: one of my things i don't think you should ever leave a game early i don't think you should ever show up to a game late if you show up to a game late just stay home and if you're gonna leave o- <laughs> if you're gonna leave early then never come back that's that's sort of there uh, you go
0: captain <laughs> accountability has weighed in with his <laughs> attendance policies it's a, it's
1: a couple of my uh you know favorite uh philosophical statements but it was pretty funny because before the game in one of the dorkiest things you will ever see, Rick Carlisle presented Frank Layden with like a Lifetime Achievement Award for coaching. Did you go to that press conference? Oh, of course. <laughs> so
0: I got the email. I was like, all right, I think I'm good on Frank Layden. <laughs> so
1: he's like almost 90 years old. He goes up there and is just basically doing like a 20-minute long bit about his entire life. He's got all these one-liners he's dropping. At one point, he said... His life would have been easier as a coach if instead of yelling at the referees, he had just paid them. And Uh Adam Silver's in attendance just like very awkwardly looking around (laughs) like, wait a minute, what's happening, right? But the reason why I bring this story up is because he said his biggest regret as a coach, and he was in the NBA coaching for years, executive for years, I mean decades really, Mm -hmm. um, His biggest regret was how hard he was on the officials and he wished he had been nicer to the officials. And I thought that was such a nice message for somebody to say decades after the fact when a lot of these referees are probably thinking like, Well, that would have been would have made my life a lot better if you had done that. And then we immediately go into game two where the referees were the story in the first half. I mean they were I
0: I learned that from my Twitter mentions. Right.
1: Well they were very I thought they were very assertive. They were calling a lot of fouls that went definitely went uncalled in game one and I thought they kept Golden State in it. I think b- the combination of favorable whistles plus Clay Thompson being scorching hot is the only reason why it was the five-point game, like you tweeted. Right. And but I, I guess we can flip this background by saying, much like Layden wanted to, you know, retroactively let all the referees off the hook, I think Toronto wound up letting the referees off the hook completely by going scoreless for the first six minutes of the third quarter. You know, yeah. it's like you can't really use that as an excuse. If that's if that's how you come out after half that's
0: a good way to break it down and I would also add that the shakiest officiating I saw came in like the middle of that second quarter when granted Golden State was on life support and they needed the help but there were also a lot of calls in the second half that went against Toronto that easily could have gone against Toronto in game one as well like Lowry kind of lives in the margins no matter what and um and he was getting <laughs> called for some of his like Bullshit, dark art tactics that he was getting away with in the first game. Does,
1: does he live in the margins, or does he put a blindfold on, hop into the car, and just jam the accelerator? <laughs> exactly. This guy's doing driver's ed donuts around the 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 uh, the court, getting himself in foul trouble game after game. And more power to him.
0: Some of the charges he takes are really effective, but some of what he does is like borderline unsafe, and would really piss me off <laughs> if I were playing against him. And then Marcus Saul was throwing that arm out and getting called for it on some. Of these screens. And so I understand if you're a Raptors fan, you're going to see that and say, we're getting screwed. But I think objective people should be able to say, all right, well, the pendulum swung a little bit in the Warriors' direction, but it's not like this game was fixed. You know what I mean? And I was getting that vibe like halfway through when I was hearing from all these people being like, well, the refs obviously want the Warriors to be in it. Like, no, a lot of calls that could have gone against Toronto in game one went against them in game two.
1: For sure. And then ultimately it wound up not really mattering because I think Golden State won it with their defense. Um, They won it with DeMarcus Cousins delivering quality minutes out of absolute nowhere it's funny coming into this game right so there's this big question what do you do with Cousins and I was actually having flashbacks to when I went to uh youth soccer training so they found like one British guy who was a soccer coach in Oregon and they saw or I don't even know if he was a soccer coach
0: <laughs> if you're British you're coaching soccer <laughs> yeah <in Portland. laughs> exactly so he
1: does his soccer training and his whole philosophy was like you build your team from the middle right like you have all your your best players in the middle and then he had what they called nuggets and he's said basically like hide your nuggets that was his whole philosophy of like in the least important positions and surround your nuggets with your best players so I thought this was Steve Kerr's strategy coming into game two it's like what do you do with Cousins he's so hobbled he looks so bad in game one he can barely stay on the court he's not moving he's getting picked apart he's not doing anything offensively I thought his strategy was okay make sure he's always playing with the the positive plus minus guys curry and draymond Mm -hmm. so that they can cover up for his mistakes they can limit his negative impact and he can just buy them time uh, until they get to their lineups that they really like with looney that's sort of how it started in the first half and he got into real quick foul trouble like right off the gate and i was like all right well they're just going to be basically treading water but as the game unfolded looney wound up not playing that many minutes and then he goes out injured so they have to turn really heavily to cousins who to me In game one was the worst player on the court yeah and he stepped up in a monster way i mean every little bit helps i think from him but the rebounding i mean i think they were exploiting toronto on the inside a little bit Uh, he he hit one really big three-pointer uh when the ball kind of like kicked back out to him and and he drained it from you know pretty close to the top of the key and he held up somehow defensively down the stretch Even when Clay Thompson was out injured and and they're just, you know, Toronto's trying to make this kind of like frantic comeback, he still wound up playing fourth quarter minutes. If you had told me that's how this game was going to play out, you know, when it started, I would have called you a liar.
0: No, you and I were legitimately kind of arguing about it at the beginning of the game, texting back and forth. To me, I saw that Cousins was starting, and I was just like, this is a bad idea. Like, I understand what Kerr is going for, what he's hoping to get out of Cousins, the minutes he's trying to steal here, maybe hoping he can get him into a rhythm, get his confidence going, and then he can help at the start of the second and start of the fourth. Um, because that's those are the minutes they were going to need from Boogie if Looney was healthy. So I got what Kerr was going for, but I also just thought it was like not going to end well, you know? And I think everybody thought that way.
1: Honestly, I I thought he was going to play him like the same eight to 12 minutes, but just do it in those quick bursts at the start of the quarters. And then just kind of like hang on for dear life. Right. Yeah. And I think he
0: came back with him at the start of the second. Right. That's
1: what I'm saying. And so that was, that part surprised me. But then, I think he said after the game, he was planning to get him 20 minutes. So that sort of lines up with like kind of these bursts at the beginning of the quarters, because I think they're worried about his conditioning too. And like he, he tires quickly. So yeah, right.
0: And, um, and to start the game, by the way, I mean, he was a step slow on every pick and roll and was giving up open shots, like basically every possession for a couple possessions there. And then he got yanked, I think with like eight minutes to go in the first. And, um, I don't know. Watching, watching Boogie over the last game and a half, um, or I guess two games now. Like there are moments out there where it's just hard to watch um, because you're like, right? How is it? How have things
1: gotten this bad? Um, but so, but, then, but as that game unfolded, though, didn't you think? Like, it was awesome. Like the exploitation stuff they were doing early didn't it disappear?
0: Yeah, he hung right in there and um was a was a net positive. I don't know what the plus minus says, but like he was he was a helpful player for them down the stretch, which was shocking, honestly. And it that's one where it does reflect poorly on the Raptors because they couldn't figure out a way to take advantage of him on defense, and that's the supporting cast not really showing up beyond Kawhi, um, although Fred Van Vliet was pretty awesome. That was one note I had in my, in my game notes. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is Kyrie, and Kyle Lowry is Della Vadova in this series so far.
1: <laughs> okay, so Cousins was plus 12 in his 28 minutes. I mean, that number, 28, just jumps out of the box score, and they were minus 7 in the 20 minutes without him. Well, and go back to
0: game one. He played eight minutes, and you and I were on the podcast. He was the worst player on the court. Those eight minutes felt like 20 minutes and were disastrous for, like, 75% of the time. And then to play 28 minutes and be that successful is uh, a huge win. And it's also something that, like... We have to see whether they can replicate that, whether Boogie can replicate that. Because if Looney, I think he had like a bruised um, collarbone, doesn't sound great, or a sprained collarbone. I did not know you could sprain your collarbone. But like if he's not going to be available for game three or game four, Boogie is going to continue to be a question
1: mark. So it sounds like, uh, this is from Mark Medina. He writes, uh, the plan is for Looney to play game three uh looney said he's gonna go out and try unless he wakes up tomorrow and feels substantially worse right so
0: that's encouraging that's
1: good news i'll say this about cousins though even if he doesn't have another game in this series as good as this this i thought this was sort of like a character moment for him almost a career defining moment for him because this is a guy who has made his teams either worse or in some cases just kind of like poisoned the situation or you know by just by his presence and by the complaints and the immaturity and all this stuff earlier in his career time and time again this is the biggest moment of his career by far he never played a playoff game before this year he has a crazy setback early in the playoffs and he could have easily mailed it in with free agency coming up and with you know the possibility that let's face it if you have multiple season-altering injuries and back-to-back years on your leg the the odds are pretty good you're going to have another one especially if you push it really hard uh, and try to get back on the court before you're fully healthy the fact that he was willing to do that for his team for his coach for his organization that may not actually even bring him back next year uh, I think it speaks very highly of him and it reinforces some of the messages which he said along the way which is look I'm actually a team guy you if you get to know me I'm about the right things he went out there and actually proved it I would say in a a big-time way for the first time in his career.
0: Yeah, and that's not generic praise, you know? I'm glad you made that point because it's something that occurred to me midway through the game where, like, Boogie has had a lot of people, a lot of media and outsiders basically looking at his game and saying, oh, like, you don't fit here. This was a bad idea by the Warriors. And in some cases, you can make a credible case with stats that it has been a bad idea, and it hasn't worked as well as anyone would have hoped. But this particular situation that he's stepping into is kind of a nightmare. Like
1: they don't need it. He's don't need not one hundred
0: percent. Right.
1: They don't need an all star from him right now. They just need a live body. Yeah. And somehow with one leg, he was a live body, getting lots of crucial rebounds. And stepping up and taking a shot, man, like... It was Im- tough as hell. Imagine not playing for a month. You come in, you don't you don't play well at all game one. So that's a huge mental challenge right there. Am I good to go? Like, can I contribute? I mean, those kinds of thoughts had to be going through his head. They kick the ball out to him on a three-pointer, you know, key second-half situation. What's he do? Step up and drill it. You know, yeah. that is... impressive mental i also
0: can't imagine being as talented as boogie is i mean and then having this be your time on an international stage you know like Boogie a couple years ago, that's why I said watching him hobble around, it's like, wow, like is it is this really where we are right now? Because Boogie a couple years ago could do whatever he wanted on a basketball court. And when he was motivated, like he was basically an unsolvable problem for defenses. And so it's hard to watch him basically be like a rich man's Andrew Bogut at times for the Warriors. But given all that, it was pretty cool to see him come through over and over again. And we should move to some of the other Warriors who stepped up because part of what I loved about this game is that it was kind of everybody like up and down the roster. Everybody had some moments where you're just, you stand back and you're like, well shit, like that's just really impressive. And so Quinn cook burying threes to start the fourth quarter, He which, looked over
1: at Drake a couple times. They
0: all looked over at Drake after every big shot. It was great. Must've been a tough night for Aubrey, but uh, yeah, DC's Quinn Cook coming through with 20 solid minutes for them. Um, and then you said, like, Clay to start the game, Clay was pissed off at the end of game one. Draymond even came out and talked about it and said, look, like, we rarely see any emotion from Clay, but you could tell after game one, he was pissed. He got a technical at the end of that game, too. And um, he came out and kind of carried them and kept them alive through the first quarter and a half where nothing else was really working for them. And then uh, I thought Curry Curry didn't play well. I would give him a B for this game probably. But to end the half after, I mean, he really struggled in the first half, and to end the half the way he did with six quick points to cut it to five, I thought that was the biggest stretch of the game where – that gave the Warriors enough life and enough room to come out and just, like, overwhelm the Raptors in the second half.
1: Curry had a really weird game. Like, started, missed his first six shots, and then down the stretch, very quiet. Like, I mean, he, there was times where he's struggling to get through the two defenders that are trying to trap yeah. him. I mean, he's, he's doing his best to protect the ball. Uh, the technical foul late mm-hmm. in that game, that could have easily come back to bit, bite him really, really hard. And so... Uh, but like you're saying, but he balanced it out with that stretch, and then he also had really good defensive activity. I thought Draymond Clay and uh, and Curry all had moments where they're flying around defensively and making important plays that keyed that rally, you know, in, in the third quarter.
0: His passing is also really impressive at times. Like where where someone like I I, I think Steph is just naturally like a, a great catalyst for everything they're trying to do on offense, and he was finding guys open. All night out of those traps which I think really helped the Golden State offense
1: yeah I mean it also helped that Clay couldn't miss I mean this guy's like you know catching shooting these crazy three-pointers people all over him uh, red hot to start and then in that third quarter he kind of took Kawhi out of the game didn't he so that's what I was about to shift to the choke part
0: well no (laughs) okay Elliot asks is anyone saying that Kawhi has played like a superstar the last two games if they are, they haven't actually watched these games. What's wrong with this guy? Either he's gassed or he's injured. I would say he's probably injured. What do you think?
1: Yeah, they keep trying to say that he's not. He was playing with his leg a little bit. I don't know if you saw him. There was like a moment where he was like getting in under his short, and he had the spandex or whatever, and he was like fiddling with it for longer than you would if you were just adjusting, you know what I mean? So it seemed like it was bothering him there. 34, 14, and 3 for him, but pretty much everything came from the free throw line, or a lot of it did, and he had the five turnovers, and that's kind of the red flag there because, um, you know, three, three assists, five turnovers, that's really unhealthy offense. That means guys are breaking open jumpers uh, when he's kicking out, and it also means he's getting himself into traffic and not taking care of the basketball, which he's actually done a really good job of, I thought, uh-huh. uh, for, you know, basically the last, you know, series or two. So. It was kind of a night where everything went wrong for Toronto. It reminded me a little bit of like, you know, when Milwaukee looked at their worst, right? Like all of a sudden the the court seems smaller because they can't hit anything from outside. And now your main guy is just working so hard to do anything and try to keep you in it. But it's not coming smooth. Um, But I also think like there was a moment where he needed to step up in that third quarter stretch when they're going no field goals for six minutes. Like, that's Kawhi's, you know, 18-0 run, that's when your best player needs to step up and do it, or do something, and I thought Clay kind of took him out, and Golden State's defense kind of took him out, and if I was a Raptors fan, I'd be concerned about his leg, but I would also be frustrated by that response.
0: Yeah, well, and to go back to what I was saying about Steph, I think... What I what I mean by when I highlight his passing is that, like, that is sort of what differentiates him from some of the other dominant scorers throughout the league because, like, he's able to still be such a net positive even when he's not scoring. And I know people kind of roll their eyes when they talk about his gravity and everything else, but, like, it's really true, and it's the difference between Steph and guys like Westbrook is, like, Steph can struggle and still be, like – really tough for everybody to deal with and open things up for everybody else and that's what Kawhi was struggling with tonight and um Granted, he didn't have a Clay Thompson. Kyle Lowry has not really shown up offensively through the first two games. Siakam started to look human tonight in a big way. Um, and yeah, Mike, we,
1: we said 14 for 17 probably wasn't going to happen again. <laughs> he went 5 of 18, didn't hit a 3. And a also, couple of them were just rough, too. A couple
0: of them were rough in that like you could tell he didn't really want to take them, mm-hmm. but knew he had to, and that's never a great spot to be in. Um, and... That's a real question for the Raptors going forward. Like, I I think defensively, they're going to hold up every game and be able to push these guys, particularly if Durant doesn't come back. But, like, I don't know where the scoring is going to come from. I mean, Fred Van Vliet has has really been awesome. Like, it's not a bit. He has been awesome guarding Steph, and he's generating
1: offense with hustle and threes. He's also been awesome in the media, too. This guy has some crazy quotes like, they, they were asking him, like, what happened in the third quarter? He was like, well, I wasn't on the court. <laughs> and, like, I, he didn't really mean it like that. But there's, like, some co- – like, he talks like a superstar. Like, some of the quotes he was giving about how, like, Kyle Lowry is, like, a pain in the you-know-what when he's out there on the basketball court, but you like him as your teammate. yeah Like, it's the kind of quotes that guys who are, like, top ten players give because they feel like they're untouchable. Like, he sort of has that mentality, like – in the media.
0: I would feel that way too after his buck series by the way. I'm I'm teflon for at least like 3 or 4 years after that performance. For
1: sure. So sh- here's my question though cuz hearing you talk, I'm worried are is there going to be an overcorrection about how well Toronto's offense can play given that they looked great when Siakam, uh Gasol and Green were all playing well in game 1, but all three of those guys were bad tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And so is the truth somewhere in the middle?
0: Um. Yeah, maybe. I, I think that's certainly plausible. But, like, you You also listed a couple guys who I wasn't really sure. I don't know how should I put this. Siakam is good. But, like. Just call, call him what I, you want to call him. I don't really believe in those guys, okay? <laughs> and I honestly found it a little bit disorienting to have to spend the – ensuing 72 hours after game one pretending that all of them are like really really good and i was talking to some people being like god can you imagine if kyle lowry gets a title and like i don't know it's gonna be pretty weird to have a lifetime pretending that kyle lowry
1: is like a great player but um Uh, i gotta say andrew i can sense it in your voice you're ready to write these Raptors off. I'm not ready to write them off. I'm really not. I have a
0: feeling that they are going to come back. I mean, look, we've seen them do it over and over and over again throughout the playoffs where they kind of, like, die on the vine and everyone is like, oh, yeah, this team isn't as talented as we thought. And then they come back, they guard, they get shots. Kawhi looks inhuman. I think Kawhi can play better. That's number one. And um, and I think he probably will. So, like, I'm fully prepared to be haunted by the Raptors for at least another 10 days, um, and I think this series is going to go down to the wire, but uh, yes, if you're asking me, like, do I worry about writing off some of these Raptors supporting cast people? Like, not, nah, not really. <laughs> I so mean,
1: like to go back to one thing you said earlier about everyone sort of chipped in for Golden State and had their moments i thought Draymond definitely had that too mm-hmm. he wasn't quite to like the full breakneck pushing the tempo like we saw against portland but he was very opportunistic and when he was taking the ball and going and trying even after they were when they were struggling in the first half after made baskets by toronto really trying to push the tempo it's clear that was a point of emphasis for them i think it really helped them Uh, you know, get through some of those sluggish stretches that they were dealing with. And it also helped them kind of break things open in the third quarter. Um, So, you know, definitely kudos to him. He also did a really nice job hitting some lobs. There was that stretch where they just had to put Bogut in because otherwise Cousins was going to, you know, (laughs) potentially pass out on the court.
0: Bogut took a break from listening to his Joe Rogan podcast (laughs) to come play in the NBA Finals.
1: Right. And and Draymond, you know, to dunk blobs from Draymond in the NBA Finals, right? And so, again... And by the
0: way, he was impressive too. They got a couple creaky moments from Bogut where he was able to kind of hold down the fort, you know, jokes aside.
1: Exactly. And so that just speaks to the point you're making about kind of it being a team effort but then on top of all that and I, I'm surprised it took us th- this long to get there the three-pointer by Iguodala was pretty pretty wild um uh, It's also weird because usually I don't think his shots are going to go in when they left his hand, but as he was lining that one up, I was like, well, this was dumb. Well, I mean, it's a classic
0: Iggy shot to hit where you're like, oh, God, you haven't hit a three in literally three weeks, but (laughs) of course you're going to knock this down. And it was awesome. And also I I really like the Livingston ball fake to freeze the entire Raptors defense. And then hit Iggy
1: wide open. Well, congratulations! That's why I
0: mean, like, this was all just like Warriors porn.
1: Uh, the last 24 minutes, for sure. Like the first 24 minutes, it, I'm sure was agonizing because a lot of a lot of assumptions that we had made about a lot of the key members of the Warriors were not looking great. Yeah. Um, but I will give you credit because Draymond said the media won't mention Sean Livingston's pass. Well, Andrew, <laughs> the media did mention it. Good job.
0: Yeah, there you go. And uh, the other thing that I would say just as a general point and a reason that this series can continue to be close is, like, as much as I don't totally trust some of the Raptors supporting players, I mean, you talk about that first half. The Warriors still have a ton of issues outside of Clay and Steph, and we don't know how healthy Clay is going to be. He's never missed a playoff game. He's, like, a bionic man. He basically plays every regular season game, too, so I'm sure he'll be fine. But, like... Beyond Clay and Steph, it still gets really, really sketchy for, for long stretches of these games. And I think that's another reason the Raptors are going to be in it regardless um, until KD comes back, which, again, Is a complete wild card, and just to reiterate what we said the other night, I think it's one of the craziest stories in recent finals history that we have the best player in basketball, and nobody has any idea when he's coming
1: back. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because does this win buy them time, right? Like if, if you if you go home two zero, I I was at the point where I was going to be calling on Kevin to go out there. If Demarcus is out there on one leg, it's time for you to go out there on one leg and just do it. You know, uh, you you can't go down three zero. So that's sort of your your season's on the line. You got to be out there. Now I'm wondering, well, can you buy him until you know game five if you split at home or Maybe. Can, you know can you can you play? You know, remember what I was saying against Portland, like I wouldn't bring Kevin back until the second loss. Like that same strategy might even be in play, assuming that he could be healthy uh here where you just keep playing until if you lose a second game then you bring it back for the next one i want to ask you this question though because you're not ready to write the raptors off yeah however the warriors after game two took a lot of joy in rubbing that victory in drake's face there's video (laughs) there's video circulating and i don't know who took it i don't know if this was creeper video if it wasn't supposed to hit the internet or maybe it was you know uh respectfully obtained who knows but Clay goes to Draymond and says, Hey, Aubrey, we're going to see you in the Bay. And he says game two was light work. And Katie calls him a bum bleep, right? Okay. Let me ask you if they're not feeling in complete command of this series, if they have legitimate concerns about when Kevin Durant's going no, to come back, no, if no. they're worried about all these different injury issues. I'm
0: not going to psychoanalyze their trash talk to Drake. Are think you sure? I they're probably talking shit to Drake no matter what. They could be down 3-0, <laughs> trailing by 20 in the fourth quarter, and they're still going to be talking shit to Drake uh but i did appreciate every after every make they they literally turned around at drake i think steph at one point quinn cook hit the second of two threes in a row and steph literally ran 40 feet down the sideline to chest bump quinn cook in front of drake and uh it was great i was surprised steph didn't get a technical for that but all part of the adventure here and by the way scotia bank arena just cut the lights it's it's 1 a.m so i think maybe they're trying to send us a signal um but ben well
1: so real quick on this because it's another hilarious moment i'm sorry to bring up the uh the late in press conference again but
0: (laughs) definitely your favorite moment of the final so far it was 90 year old
1: coach (laughs) it was fantastic i mean we were sitting there wondering if it was going to go off the rails completely you never know what's going to come out of people who are like almost 90 years old so we quotes Pete Carrill, the the legendary basketball coach, something along the lines of like losing reveals your weaknesses, but winning reveals your character. And that line was just like, bouncing around in my brain as i'm watching the video of these guys just rubbing it in drake's face (laughs) like if there was any group of guys who just you know yeah well
0: and honestly it's hard for me because i really appreciate the warriors and particularly this version of the warriors like i was watching i'm sure people can hear it in my voice i was watching that second half being like this is just as badass as playoff basketball gets watching these guys look shaky as hell, and then find a way to keep it all rolling anyways is really impressive. The Draymond passing, the back cuts, the ballsy shots from everyone on the roster. It was great. And so I have to kind of remember to temper some of that in public because a lot of people just hate these dudes. And that's a fair take as well because the Warriors don't win gracefully (laughs) and never really have.
1: Yeah, it's like the central contradiction of Steph too, right? Is like he is like this like very humble, family oriented. He doesn't talk a lot of uh, you know self promote in the media and any of that, but on the court and he's a lot
0: more fun on the court.
1: On the court, there's <laughs> a the lot court, of celebrations. He's
0: like, a little too Russell Wilson ish for me. But off the court – I mean, no, on the court, he, he is not afraid to, he's, to mix it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: he's Russell Wilson off the court and Deion Sanders on the court.
0: <laughs> which I grow. Deion Sanders is my favorite athlete of all time, uh, which will surprise absolutely no one. Um, All right. Wait, let's, did
1: you, real quick. Did you have his uh, CD? Uh, Prime time keeps ticking. I, tickin'. you
0: know I did not have his CD, but when I was in the fourth grade, I did a book report on his autobiography, which is called Money, Power, and Sex mm. by Deion
1: Sanders. Mm. And, in uh, that order.
0: It was awesome. Uh, it concerned my fourth grade teachers. Um,
1: but So a CD for just the younger listeners, it's like MP3s. They put them on discs. Uh, Deion Sanders... Underrated was, af- athlete rap. He had some. He had some cuts on that well, CD. Well, I mean,
0: he was recording with MC Hammer. He, they were like buddies for a while there in Atlanta, and um, I think it was Must Be the Money. Must oh, Be the Money was is a, a jam. See? Yeah. See, so all you youngins out there, go YouTube Must Be the Money or Spotify or whatever the kids are doing these days. So
1: all you Raptors fans, as you're absorbing this very painful loss, just I, no, realize the Raptors
0: fans have stopped listening. Okay, and, uh, well, I've, been hearing, I've been hearing from a
1: good number of them, but. No, I
0: mean to this particular podcast.
1: Oh, I think that, I think, I don't know. Just
0: check out. It's very fair.
1: Just realize that Andrew will be, you know, riding home in his Uber, bumping Deion Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) And just, you know, trying to restrain himself from tweeting positively about Steph Curry for the next two hours of his life. That's your mental image here. There we go. To make a, a tough night worse.
0: Let's keep it moving. But before we do, Ben, a quick word from our friends at Mattress Firm.
1: Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's Sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side. Your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, A queen, now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com.
0: Okay, and we're back here for the home stretch in the gondola. Uh, Last couple things. Did my dream die? I've been tell- talking to you privately about my dream of the Warriors coming back from 3-1 to win this title and perfectly bookend the Kevin Durant era. Do you think that's still in play at all?
1: So I'm guessing your dream scenario didn't involve Kevin Durant leading the comeback. You just wanted Steph to No, I would have lead- been
0: fine either way. I think Durant leading a 3-1 comeback would be fairly appropriate and poetic. I'd be cool with that.
1: It's hard to see Golden State losing two at home. Um, I don't think the series is over. I think you're right to, you know, caution some restraint here, but I do think that Toronto, there's no way they, they, they avoid looking at game two as a complete missed opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's going to be one that they regret. There was a couple of those games earlier in these playoffs. Uh, you know, Houston had one where I, I came on here and said, look, they lost the game in the first half cause they couldn't get up by enough. And then they give up the second half run and they go down. It was kind of the same deal here. Um, uh, I think for Toronto, with so many of their role players kind of not showing up in game two, now they have to go on the road. Now they have to deal with um, you know the possibility of a, a Kevin Durant return. That's a lot for them to deal with. And I know we've praised their steadiness and their resolve and their ability to kind of you know shake off poor outings and bounce back and all that. Uh, but they've got some real questions, Kawhi's health, Lowry's ability to contribute scoring Um, and he didn't really do much else in game two either. Uh And then those role players, are they going to hit threes or are they going to be thinking about the threes they missed in game two? That's a lot of questions for them to deal with and and to go on the road to do it in a place that, frankly, if I was a Warriors fan and I was hearing all these stories, you know, people patting the the Raptors fans on the back, oh, Jurassic Park, it's so loud in there. Listen, (laughs) Listen how they sing along to the national anthem. If I was the Warriors fans, I would be taking that personally. They're probably too rich to even care but
0: uh, i yeah there's, they, a, there's a
1: little bulletin board material for oracle arena and by the way there's they not- are
0: literally wealthy but they have also won so many titles that at this point it's like oh yeah game three of the finals cool like wake me up when it's a parade and there's yeah. champagne everywhere i
1: couldn't even get a sitter oh well
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i'll watch from home um I think you're right that it's going to be an issue for Toronto on the road, and the best they can hope for is a split. And I believe Nick Nurse even said that coming into the press conference afterward. He said, look, all right, they got their split. We're going to go try to get our split. And that's that's the way that we're going to look at this, and that's a smart way to approach it. I do have a question for you. Mm. If you could pick when to, get, when to bring Kevin Durant back from a strategic standpoint. Let's say he's yeah. healthy. Let's say the calf is okay. We've got – Golden State fans on Twitter like Zaprudering various videos of Kevin Durant walking through the bowels of Scotiab- Scotiabank Arena. And he doesn't have a limp, according to certain people's uh, interpretations. I haven't seen him walking in person.
1: This is such a credible buildup, but keep
0: going. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know whether he's healthy or not, but if he's healthy, when would you bring him back?
1: If he is. Uh, healthy, I would bring him back immediately. If he's not healthy or like, you know, there's concerns or setbacks or whatever, I would wait until a second loss.
0: Okay. Because I I think that he's probably healthy enough to play, and they should try to bring him back for Game 3. And they just work it in slow? Yeah, because then at least you have two games at home, and if there's some sort of chemistry issues in Game 3, you've got another game at home where everybody's full strength.
1: It's like a buffer.
0: Yeah, and I hope that that's the direction they go. Um, I do hope he makes it back for at least some portion of this series. I will say it is fun to watch the Warriors be vulnerable and have to figure this out um, because that's where a lot of the drama kind of originated tonight.
1: Well, let me ask you this. What did Steve Kerr say after the original Durant injury when all those guys pulled together in the collective effort to eke out, what was that, the Game, game 4 or Game 5 victory? I think it was the Game 5 victory. What were the two words that he called his team? I can't say it because there's a profanity involved, but go ahead. Okay,
0: he called them fucking giants. That's
1: that's what I came away from this game as. That's what that performance was to me. Yeah, uh, and I think that if Durant is healthy enough to play, when you watch your team play like that, the urge is not to be like, oh, I'll just you know sit here on the sidelines and watch the, you know, like let them keep uh, you know doing this. When you're watching all these other guys get hurt, Steph's dehydrated, all these other stories coming out, Clay with the hamstring cousins still being injured you want to go help in
0: the crowd too
1: you want to go help you want to go be a part of that you want to say hey you guys carried me i want to come back and help carry you and even in a limited form i think they could use them i like your idea with the buffer in terms of if it does go horribly wrong at least you have like a makeup game in game four where you can uh, you know kind of pull things back together so I think we should also note here, like the reporting from Chris Haynes at, at Yahoo is he's com- he's supposed to be on track to come back midway through the series. So, you know, you've got Charles Barkley on one end who's saying the Warriors are lying. He's never going to play. And you've got Chris Haynes on the other end saying, no, he's he's coming back in midway of the series. I think I'm team Haynes on this one, uh, and in general, usually I'm team Haynes. Yeah. Um, and You're I not
0: and... team Charles Barkley gut feeling.
1: <laughs> well, sometimes he's right. Oftentimes, no. I do find myself team Chuck gut feeling. No. But... Well, look, we you know my respect for Chuck as a takesman, and I think sometimes he has info that other people don't. Yeah. But there's not a situation where Chris Haynes is going to report that and it doesn't get knocked down, right? Or like there's drama around that report, and there wasn't any of that. You know? I would
0: also add that Barkley is great and everybody should appreciate him i think he gets trashed by a certain segment of twitter who just takes life too seriously yeah
1: you take i think you take twitter too seriously i
0: probably do i definitely (laughs) do there's no question about it but I, i sometimes see people being like oh my god this is just the most inane analysis of all time like get this dude off my television right uh but he's entertaining and i really appreciate barkley Having said that, I need to add the caveat that he has been aggressively wrong about the (laughs) Golden State Warriors. For literally every month of the past five years of them running the NBA, he's been picking them to lose at every single turn. It's pro- It's got to be a bit, right? I think it may be a bit. I hope it's a bit. I don't really know. I Again, every time I see him call for a Warriors loss, I kind of chuckle to myself, and I'm like, yeah, there's Barkley again. <laughs> Just like wrong as hell, per usual. No,
1: I-, I hear you on that. It did seem like maybe he was trying to dare Kevin to come back, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I think sometimes those ex-players, you know, like they like to, I mean, they used to love needling Kevin before he had ever won a title. I mean, Shaq went at him when I talked to Shaq a couple of years ago at TNT, like went straight at Kevin's throat. So I don't know if it's personal there or if they're just trying to like prod him and, and get him back into the series. But, um, I think that report is promising and I like your idea of, you know, if you, if you can do it game three, do it, but I don't think there's any downside. If, if you can't play game three, just come back for game four, you know? I think, yeah. I think if you're the Warriors, you want him back sooner than later because of all these other issues and because the minute tolls are really adding up. And so it's like even if a lot of these things that they're dealing with right now aren't major, like they're always like one play away from a major overuse injury. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, hopefully he comes back because that's the other question I had for the Warriors is like, all right, so – how much longer can Iguadala do this? Because when he got. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was like laying face down on the floor for a minute there, and I thought maybe he had a concussion. And I started to spin this forward. I was like, all right, so is Alfonso McKinney going to be playing 30 minutes a game for the rest of this series? And at that point. Sure hope not. Like, because he's another guy. He's in the Cousins conversation where they, they just need him out there. Like, they don't necessarily need A plus Iguadala, but they have. Uh, such a glaring lack of alternatives on the wing, and that probably goes to some of the decisions they made this summer. Like They they can't afford a loss at this point um, if Iggy and Durant are going to be on the sidelines. So shifting gears to three more questions. We didn't get enough around-the-league questions from people, so we're going to
1: keep this. Well, I can tell you why, because the last podcast you were saying, no, no, we're just going to do a game recap on Sunday. <laughs> and so what do you do? You cut off the great questions to com. Open floor mail at gmail.com. I'm just kidding, actually, because there really not much happened around the league the last couple of days. Yeah. It was a quiet weekend.
0: Yeah. Well, um, well, I'm sure the Lakers will do something completely insane within the next 48 <laughs> hours. But Elliot asks if Kevin Durant hadn't come to the Warriors, do the Warriors win more than the 2015 title? Can I get a firm yes or no from each of you? I say no between the LeBron and Kyrie Cavs. The Thunder with Durant or the Rockets. Oh, so or- that,
1: that's weird, though. Is he saying that Durant doesn't come to the Warriors, but he definitely stays with Oklahoma City?
0: Yes. He also allowed for the possibility that Durant goes and creates a contender elsewhere. I think he could have gone to – he probably would have gone to Boston. I don't think he was staying in OKC under any circumstances, but let's say the Warriors did win the 2016 title and and that wasn't an option uh, for PR reasons like – put him on another team did the Warriors win another title beyond that
1: I think they can get one in there I mean the problem was that Steph was injured for one playoff and so if you don't have KD and he starts off that playoffs injured they probably lose you know they probably go out early because that was their margin for error KD was able to carry them and it wasn't like it was the longest injury in the world but that made a big difference all right Uh, hold on that wasn't
0: demonstrative enough from you okay I said yes you know you said I think they get one in there okay no We just got done five minutes ago saying these guys are fucking giants. You're Mr. Draymond, okay? Like, Draymond is awesome. Steph is awesome. If they hadn't signed Durant, they probably wouldn't have let Barnes go and would have been able to keep it going. Harrison's
1: Harrison's the dynasty saver.
0: Harrison's maybe not a fucking giant, but I think that they would have found a way to keep it rolling and get one or two more Granted, none of it would have been as easy as it was, and I think... Well, look, there's there's only
1: been two years, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, giving them one out of those two is pretty good.
0: Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I thought you meant one in perpetuity
1: but uh, oh for no not forever I'm saying like of uh, or 2017 or 2018 it would have been tough to get the one in 17 because that's when Steph was injured right mm-hmm. so if they just never had KD are they going to go out early in those playoffs or is he just not going to be able to get back right are they going to rely too much on him when he gets back is something going to go wrong there that would be the one that I would question because also yeah definitely uh you know maybe quite doesn't get injured in 2017 i don't know. We're, we're getting down kind of a hypothetical rabbit hole i think they would have won at least one of those two
0: okay um i'm with you there and
1: although does lebron leave cleveland that's
0: see that's the real wild card does Kyrie leave cleveland and <laughs> that's where kevin durant may have robbed us of a modern day celtics lakers situation and like five Epic matchups between the Cavs and the Warriors. I mean, everybody had been bemoaning the fact that we had four straight finals with the Cavs and the Warriors... That was never the problem. The problem is that the last two finals were the Cavs and the Warriors. Had the were, Cavs in them. Were, no, <laughs> it, it's not a Cavs. They had to, Kevin Durant on the Warriors. And it was over like the second that all began. Uh, and that was
1: not fun to watch. Uh, it was, d- that was partially a Cavs problem.
0: Yeah, I guess so. And had Kyrie stayed in Cleveland and Kevin Durant never gone to the Warriors, all of those matchups would have been like 50-50 situations, and it would have been fantastic to watch. Um, but... This series has been pretty fantastic to watch as well, so I can't really complain too much.
1: Um, who's the finals MVP through two games?
0: Oh boy, that's a great question. That's a good like. No, that's what I'm here Post game show, ESPN behind the desk with Beetle <laughs> question.
1: I'm not really sure Who, who's your pick. Oh, uh, it's a really tough one. I guess I think I would probably go to Steph with the impact argument, um, but he hasn't had an A game yet, really, like an all around A game um he's, you know what I he's love had a Steph? plus stretches but he's everything you love everything we've just been listening no to no no
0: <laughs> honestly though I really appreciate how aggressive he has been because that's the stuff where sometimes when KD was out there, at the beginning of that Rocket series, he's kind of like feeling things out. You can tell he's going after these guys, and even even the traps, like he is not kind of shying away from any of this and just disappearing for stretches, which is the one thing that you can kind of criticize him for at points throughout these playoffs.
1: For sure. I mean, I thought his reaction to – his team struggling in game one was dead on because he just, you know, he, he took them and put them on his back and tried to do it. It yeah. didn't work out, but it was exactly what and they he's needed. he's getting
0: hit a lot and beat up and still going after him. And hopefully he stays healthy.
1: So if it's not him, would it be Kawhi? Because um, you I, get some recency bias here. Like we say Steph after they win game two, if you flip the games around, you know. Yeah. Or is it Siakam? I mean, he played so poorly in game two. He's look, been up and look, down. look, look, look. It could be Van Vliet. All right, Van Vliet's the only guy who's really firing
0: on all cylinders right now. Granted, Kawhi is giving them 30 a game... But he's not playing at an A plus level. Van Vliet is at an A plus level defensively and giving them maybe a B plus A minus on
1: offense. Now we are getting into this like Cavs deli territory. So I think the the key adjustment you're seeing is going back to Oakland for games three and four. If Steph can raise his game up to match finals MVP Fred Van Vliet, Golden State should have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think they might. I think honestly,
0: to answer your question sincerely, it would be either Steph, it's it's got to be Steph. There's been so much nonsense around the Finals MVP over the last couple years that in the same way that Durant got the sympathy vote for last year's Finals MVP, Steph is going to get the sympathy vote this year. He's he will have to play like a a really horrendous stretch to end the series to not win finals MVP at the end of all this
1: well either that or the easy money sniper comes back and gets 35 in three straight games sure man he
0: he stacks those finals MVPs (laughs) you can't take that away from Kevin Durant Um, that
1: would be honestly that would be pretty infuriating I think that because you know I'm like the greatest uh, ability is availability guy I'm actually of the opinion that basically no matter how well Kevin plays once he comes back he shouldn't be able to win finals MVP because he missed the early games okay is that too hardline?
0: Um, maybe a little too hardline in terms of your reasoning because availability is the best of it. <laughs> but um, I definitely understand what you mean in that I think the most impressive part of this Warriors run, no matter what happens at the end of the series, no matter what happens with Durant, is going to be uh, the guys who were able to kind of hold it together with their bare hands over the last month because it's honestly one of the crazier things I've seen um, as a basketball fan over the last 10 years, 10, 20
1: years. Like, it's just—it's really cool. You're, so, you're bordering on just giving them this series, man. i got to say. I'm it.
0: not. I'm <laughs> not. But this is how insufferable I'm going to be if they actually win. <laughs> so everyone prepare yourselves. I, I basically, a Warriors win will make me so satisfied as a basketball fan that like, that's why I'm convinced that – the Raptors are going to come back and haunt me because they just, that's the way things work for me as a Wizards fan in life. I'm never allowed to be that happy.
1: Right. So, Well, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) So we played out the whole scenario of like what happens if the Raptors do win the finals with Kawhi and like he could leave on really good terms and nobody would hold it against him. Uh Now that we got a taste of like how gutting it was to watch them give away that lead, not be able to mount a comeback have the fans silenced, some of them leaving a little bit early, so on and so forth. Did that change your thinking at all about Kawhi's future? And I also think like over this the last couple of days, it did seem like he was giving a little bit more of his personality in some of the interviews, you know, saying some things about the city, um, you know, using a little bit more deadpan humor in the back and forth. Maybe he's just getting sick of some of the questions that are being asked of him. But I just, you know, what what's your state of Kawhi right now?
0: Um, that's a good question. I do think that Kawhi doesn't get enough credit for saying interesting things occasionally. Like people act as if every interview he he ever gives is essentially like a Greg Popovich after the third quarter interview. And he does have some expansive, thoughtful answers he's just a boring person, and he can't help that. It's it's in the same way that Al Horford can talk for 20 minutes and you can have a really good conversation and come away saying, oh, like Al Horford's a really good guy. And then you listen back and you're like, he didn't really say much. Um, That's sort of where Kawhi is. And uh, as
1: far as... That'd be such a bad podcast, those those two? (laughs) It'd be pretty rough. (laughs) Not like we're setting a huge standard here, but I I think we're probably better than... uh, alan kawaii show we've
0: got that going for us um as far as his free agency i kind of have a feeling he's gone regardless and and that is probably okay with raptors fans after the way he has delivered over and over again this year and i think some of the psychic the, the psychic baggage that he has cleared for them is going to be valuable regardless like this, the same way Masai keeps saying, like, we can win it in Toronto, and then Masai is, like, chilling with Barack Obama before the game. Like, this has been a big moment for the Raptors and a great look for the franchise and what's possible here, and so at some point, you, you kind of have to just say, all right, go do what you want, Kawhi. Like, they're not going to be heartbroken or beside themselves if, if this is it, because, this has already delivered beyond any reasonable expectations people would have had like six months
1: ago i mean obama is our president do you think he took a a moment to just needle messiah a little bit i was wondering about that well because obama
0: has definitely spent a lot more time with steph curry and kevin durant than anyone in the raptors locker and he's
1: also like a world-class zinger you know like he can he knows how to dig he like he knows what buttons to push like yeah but he's also a really nice guy, it seems like, you know, from his personality. So I just wonder, how do you play that when you're watching a team give up an 18-0 run? <laughs> like, I mean, do you just, like, you know, lean over to um, Masai and say, you know, you guys might want to consider, like, making a basket? Yeah, like, is Danny do, Green just going to keep shooting this? Or, or, <laughs> or do you just let it go?
0: Um, <laughs> I think you might have to let it go. I mean, this is a pretty big <laughs> moment for Masai, too. I de- I definitely thought about exactly the scenario you're <laughs> describing, and could he help
1: himself is what it boils down to right well
0: yeah and i he's essentially here as a guest of the nba and adam silver but was also in Masai's little box before the game and was hanging out with Masai, and so i think he's here as a guest of the raptors as well so in the same way i'm sure he was rooting for duke when he was at duke unc he probably had to be at least nominally pulling for the raptors and and looking over at Masai, kind of wincing and saying ah it's a tough one but you know it's going to be a long series and anyone can anything can happen here i kind
1: of like to think that he was rooting for zion at duke and he was rooting for steph here yeah is that crazy i mean
0: he and steph this is like steph is They're like full, golfing buddies full right? on illuminati <laughs> like golfing in the hamptons and probably va- vacationing in the mediterranean or whatever so yeah
1: you know how he played it here's what he did he didn't say a single thing to messiah jiri but he went back into that tunnel he found drake and he let drake have it
0: uh, maybe. I, I honestly, I wondered about their interactions as well. I hope that Drake tried to meet Obama and was denied. That's my hope for the night. Um, because a Drake Obama Instagram would have made me... Roll my eyes into the back of my
1: head. That's the kind of thing where, like, the ambassador or the secretary of state has to like issue a clarifying press release. If like something like word like that gets out, you're like, oh, this is a this is a, this is a scandal. We can't have this. <laughs> this is a
0: really bad well, look for so, a
1: dignified man. I'm just full of questions tonight. But how does Drake handle the rest of this series? Does he go to games I, three he's and four?
0: Definitely going. Drake is too thirsty to stay in Toronto for games three and four. I enjoyed him staying in Toronto and not traveling for the Milwaukee series. Okay, but the finals are too lit for
1: him to just like chill. But we now he's got a lot of. I mean, now he's exposed, right? If they're going down two one, three one, and these guys just keep coming back to him with the Aubrey jokes, I mean, it's going to start getting to be more this like is that.
0: Part of the Drake genius, though. This is why you have to tip your cap to him. He's he. All of this stuff bounces off of him. I mean, if he's still out in public after what Pusha T did to him a year ago at this time. <laughs> Nothing the Warriors can say or do can hurt Drake, and he's still a you know, hundred million dollar artist. He's he's living good regardless.
1: How do we get to this post-criticism reality? This sounds great. I, <laughs> it
0: must be nice. It must be nice. All right, two random questions around the league. Kevin says there's no way you guys address this on the podcast because the Wolves just aren't worth the airtime. But as a long-suffering Wolves fan, I was just wondering. What you guys thought of the Rosas and Saunders hirings. Local media seems to love it all, but I'm curious what you guys think and what you know about Rosas especially. What do you think?
1: As soon as he left, the Rockets fell apart. Get- <laughs> that would have been like a really like that would have been a great take for like uh com or whatever. Yeah. Um, you were upset that the the Wizards didn't really seem to take it seriously with him, right? And yeah. and you that, have a little envy
0: there? Or? A little bit, uh, but I also fully admit that I know nothing about Gerson Rosas except that he was involved with the Rockets over the last 10 years. He left to go to the Mavericks for like six months. That got weird, went right back to the Rockets, and seems to be beloved by that specific front office, which has done a really good job.
1: Not and, seems to. They love that dude. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And so for that reason, sure, I'll take a flyer on Gerson. It's like, whatever. I'm cool with that. Um, but beyond that, I think all these guys are such wild cards. When you look at, like, Rob Hennigan in in Orlando, everybody said, oh, okay, like, he came from the Thunder. Of course he's going to be great. And you just never really know.
1: That's a great uh, comparison point because Hennigan. Was from the Presti school. He did a lot of Presti-like things. He just wasn't Presti, and Orlando didn't have that top-level talent to kind of do some of the same maneuvers. So it just didn't work, right? But you kind of know what you're getting. And I think anyone who's coming from Houston's front office, and that includes Sam Hinkie from back in the day and now Rosas, like you pretty much know what their worldview is going to look like, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not like going to be some crazy like outside-the-box thing. I mean, we saw how they basically played you know, money ball forever, do whatever you can possibly do to try to get a star. Once you have a star, bend over backwards to sort of build around him and, you know, try to keep that star as locked in for as long as possible. Try to, you know, build up your reputation as a destination and, you know, take care of the little things and then, you know, search like heck for minimum salary players to sort of support your main guys. And I think if you're a Rosas, you look at that roster and you say, well, we've got our heart in. His name is Carl Anthony Towns. He's going to be our franchise for the next however many years. And so we've got to build this entire roster around his strengths and his weaknesses. And when you go back the last three or four years in in Minnesota, we can't say they've done a very good job with that, right? Does Wiggins fit that well with Towns? Unfortunately, it's proven to be really not the case. Um, The Butler experiment, uh, was that sort of a Towns-friendly move? Well, it blew up pretty quickly that it clearly it wasn't. I mean, those two guys didn't really see eye-to-eye necessarily. And so I think the biggest uh, benefit you're going to get from someone who's in Houston is you, you structure your entire organization around making your superstars life as easy as possible and getting him the right kind of help. And that every single move has to be looked at through that lens. Uh And that's something that Denver even talked about the last couple of years with Jokic, right? As like Connelly is like, as soon as we realized how good he was, our entire thinking changed, right? And they need that because I don't think uh, when Tibbs got there, his mentality was what's good for T- carl how are we going to get carl to where he needs to be in 8 years tibbs's mentality was we have to get back to the playoffs i don't care how many veterans and former bulls i have to sign we're going to you know turn carl into a man you know all these other weird things that uh, was going on and i think it ultimately <laughs> kind of set his career back a little bit or not even back but just kind of you know turn that into wasted years i don't know whether that's
0: Cat's career seems to have plateaued because of Wolves' reasons, but also somewhat because of Cat' reasons.
1: But I'll say that I think he's got a lot more left, like a lot more ceiling untapped. Un, uh, I think he's got That's a fair. lot of potential. I think he's been through some really weird stuff up there. He's shown incredible durability. We know what his offensive talent is like. He's made some strides defensively and as a leader. It helped that he got a coach he seemed to get along with, and they obviously tried to retain him. And I'm sure that. Decision with with Saunders was looked at through that lens of like, does Cat like him? Okay, he gets to stay. Mm. Um, and now I think you're going to have a front office where you're, it's probably going to take two years to do this thing right. Um, but I just I don't think he can do much worse. I guess you know if you're if you're only looking through this as like what's good for Cat because the Jimmy experience was a disaster for Cat, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I I guess I have a couple reactions to what you just said. First of all, hearing you lay out everything that's on the table for Cat right now and where he's been over the last couple years reminded me of one of my pet peeves, which is when people say that markets don't matter and all that stuff is overstated. Cat, if he had played the last three years in New York, would be one of the biggest stars on the planet, um, regardless of whether he made the playoffs. Obviously, winning dictates all this stuff in the end. But, like, he has been unbelievable to an extent that is not properly appreciated by, like, mainstream basketball fans. And that's even people who watch the NBA. Uh, and he also so, would
1: have made the playoffs in the East. He, we would have made the playoffs <laughs> in the East. That's probably true, <laughs> Sorry, too. Sorry, that was unrelated. The Go bottom
0: ahead. of the East is never something that I'm going to rep very hard for. Um, the other thing, though, as far as, uh, you know, Cats' defense and everything else, like, all that stuff regressed under Saunders, and it wasn't necessarily Cat who regressed, but everyone else on the roster did not seem to really respond, and um, that's the place that I would worry. And I, I think that it's Rosas, if he had his way, probably would not have gone with Saunders, and it was the if you go back to the, the podcast where Tom Thibodeau was fired, I said, this is how it's going to play out. They're going to give him half the year, He's probably not the guy, but he's also not going to have enough of a fair shot for them to make any sort of definitive call on him. And then they're just going to hire him. And you can look at his ties to the the Minnesota scene and the way that Glenn Taylor has done business with that team forever. And it's not hard to connect the dots to explain what happened there. And it would frustrate me if I were a Wolves fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the argument in favor of Saunders is you're not hiring him forever uh you know you have a new front office usually a lot of front offices now like to have this evaluation period where like okay we'll see who stays see who goes and just kind of keep the coach over yeah he can't be making very much because he's probably one of the lowest paid coaches in the league yeah
0: but that's a bad I I mean if you're not paying very much you should pay more for a coach you're paying cat 200 million dollars
1: right but how much help does he have and realistically what's their ceiling next year like even if they had the best coach in the league how much are they winning next year i
0: don't know what are you trading wiggins for this summer you know well <laughs> let's mix it up <laughs> let's see what we got <laughs> no, i
1: i'm sure that that will be the very first one of the first things that rosas is going to look at because he's going to say does he fit with cat is this guy a long-term building block is he worth his contract those are the kinds of questions that the rockets would look you know at, at if they had a player like that and wiggins is going to fail all of those tests and They will probably try to trade him, but uh, I'm not sure what you would really get for him. And I think, um, you know, it's tough building around Cat. It's much harder to build around Cat than it is around Harden, in large part because of the position aspect. Yeah. If Cat was a, you know, big-time, huge-plus, two-way type of guy like Embiid, it would be easier to build around him. But he's not quite that guy yet, and he needs to have the ball, and he needs to have guards who know how to get him the ball, and he's relying upon – you know like primary creators to do what he does best so it's going to be a multiple year haul here i don't you know in terms of like rosas coming in and really putting this into a situation that's going to be like sustained playoff teams and so to me i'm not sure saunders really stands in in the in the way of that i don't i i kind of agree with you he's probably not the guy long term But if you gave him a season as they're trying to figure these other things out, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Okay. Because otherwise you're getting in a scenario where it's like, you know, with Booker and Phoenix, where it's like you just have a new coach every year, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm even cool just giving Saunders a season if if it's understood by everyone in Minnesota (laughs) that that's the plan. But we've seen this team kick the can down the road for 25 years in a row. I think
1: you're describing now a lame duck coach with a contract extension.
0: Exactly. I just... It's not how I would do business so Wolves fans Kevin I would feel good about Rosas uh, cautiously optimistic anyway I would feel a little bit more frustrated about Saunders but at least you still have cat he's awesome
1: no, I, I think I'm pretty much with you on both those things I think for Kevin like here's the key thing for this summer start looking at every single move that they make with their roster through the cat prism and that should be what you're judging all these things off of does this help cats life does it make his life worse and if you come out you know at the end of the summer and they don't actually have any new like needle moving type you know game changing type talents but they've made three or four smaller moves that actually if you were cat or you were cat's agent or you were his you know skills coach or whatever you can look and say hey those actually are going to help uh, here going forward um like the josh acoby's of the world like if i'm cat I, I want
0: josh i want to
1: roster full of those kinds of guys right so if rosas comes in and makes those kinds of moves then I think you're going to... That will be the indication that you're on the right track.
0: Okay, well... It's um,
1: amazing that we're doing this. I know.
0: We're also (laughs) podcasting directly to Kevin at the end of the night here. Um, uh, On that topic, though, I desperately wanted the Wizards to draft Josh Akogi in last year's draft. I don't even remember who we draft. Oh, uh, Troy Brown instead of Josh Akogi. Uh That did not age well. But, hey, Troy Brown has a lot of upside. Anyways, the reason I bring that up is because we are now in week eight and the Wizards do not have a GM. And it's entirely possible that they just won't have a GM. Well,
1: let, let me ask you this. If I give you Rosas or the field, in other words, you know they're, they're not getting Connolly. He's out of the picture. You know what right? I
0: would do, honestly? They're not getting Connolly. So go hire the scouts in Denver who have actually made the Nuggets good. Okay? Undercut them? <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. Your revenge? Oh,
0: only is the guy who traded the pick that would have been Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles for some reason. He made that kind of like cookie cutter move to get Millsap in there. I don't know. He hasn't done that much that has impressed me. But the scouting in Denver has been a plus across the board. So go hire their scouts.
1: Well Arturis was gonna be the guy in charge of Denver if Connolly left. Yeah. Like they already had that secession plan in place. So maybe you just double back and you take Arturis and and if you're lucky he was the guy who was helping uh, drive some of that stuff. In all seriousness though, like if you could have any of these other candidates they're looking at or Rosas well, who would you prefer? I would take Rosas, Okay, but I would
0: also take anyone at this point. The draft is two and a half weeks away, and the Wizards are holding their first workouts tomorrow with a bunch of second-round draft picks. They have a top-ten pick. I would hope that they start to get the wheels in motion a little bit. Um, if... But at this point, who knows? Maybe they
1: just hold a lottery for their GM job, you know? (laughs) Just put some numbers in the hopper. I'll
0: put my name in there, man. I'm ready. Um, Speaking of the draft, though...
1: um... (laughs) Would you rather have you get hired for the job, Danny Ferry, or Rosas?
0: Me! I will step... (laughs) Well, no. Rosas, (laughs) then me. I don't want Danny Ferry running the Wizards, okay? Not... I'm not gonna get into it. I just I don't want him running the Wizards.
1: I've been trying to get that take out of you for three weeks, and I think you've just
0: <laughs> I think you've
1: just sealed who the and next Wizards GM is gonna oh be. Oh my
0: god! Yeah, and it's I deserve it honestly for how insufferable I've been about the Warriors. I get it. Uh, and speaking of insufferable, Danny Ferry, man. Uh, but anyways, Dylan says. Rumor has it the Knicks are thinking about trading down to 8 and 10. At first glance, it could be a good idea because that's more chances to get a good player. On the other hand, comparing the past five years of the third pick versus the 8 or 10 pick paints a pretty grim picture. What do you guys think? What do you think of that rumor?
1: I haven't given that a ton of thought, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, A couple of thoughts. I mean, we don't see the trade downs happen that much. Uh, there was the famous, what, Minnesota trade down, which backfired. Mm-hmm. There was the Denver trade down with the McDermott with Chicago, which actually worked out great for Denver doing the trade down. Um, there's Boston doing the Fultz that worked trade. out pretty well. Which worked out <laughs> great. And the Atlanta one, which, I mean, the jury's still out on the Atlanta one, but it's definitely not going to look horrible, right? Yeah. Um, so... If you're New York and you're in this mode where your roster is horrible, right? Yeah. Are you in a situation where you're thinking more assets, more you know, is is better than just RJ? I guess it it kind of comes down to me like if is RJ a fit with KD? Exactly. That's well. First
0: of all, to to respond to your broader point um, on Boston and Atlanta, like both of those teams. Did those deals knowing that the guy they really liked was going to be at the pick they were moving down to. And the reason this Knicks thing is a little crazy and probably won't actually happen, but the reason people are like, what the hell are they thinking? Is because they have no idea who's going to be at eight and ten. And it's also a three-player draft. Four player, I think Garland is actually going to be really good. Also, but like it's a four-player draft at most, and you're talking about trading down to eight and ten.
1: But is your guy like your quote-unquote the guy that you want? First of all, is he going to be there at eight? Do you want to have two rookies playing with whoever stars you're trying to get in free agency? I think that's sort of the question. That's if- what
0: I struggle with because I love the draft, and if if I have an option, I'll always take more picks. But the Knicks, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Let's let's keep this as simple as possible for the Knicks.
1: The, I, think, I think I've got my theory. I think that this trade-down scenario is sort of how you try to build up the value of the number three pick, which you're going to try to put into a deal for, like, Anthony Davis, That's right? what
0: they should be doing. If you're trading the number three pick, you're trading it for a real player, whether that's Bradley Beal or Anthony Davis or anyone else you can get to pair with KD and whoever else you're trying to get this summer. I think that's the play here. Trading for more rookies is a bad idea. And then also, I mean... The RJ Barrett thing is interesting. I, I wrote about him recently in an article that will come out in a couple of weeks, um, and I really, I think he's one of the most interesting players in the draft. But they're going to have to make a call and say, do we, does this person fit next to Kevin Durant?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, forget about the skill wise. Like, do you want a key person around Kevin Durant who's fresh out of college yeah and he's gonna need two or three years to figure things out and, and like,
0: kd is what he's gonna be 31 next year yeah that's like, that's the, the window
1: thing. is tight it really doesn't make a lot of sense if they really think they're getting kd i don't think that they're gonna draft and keep rj um the other thing though just to follow up on what you just said do you really think danny ferry is gonna trade bradley bill this summer <laughs> god damn it <laughs>
0: oh yeah now there's no question that's how this is all gonna end now that we've done this podcast um but yes, that's the reason it's interesting to circle back and, and give a coherent answer, probably the first coherent thought in the last 20 minutes. This is all kind of a test for how confident they are that Durant is coming and how much they're willing to bet as the draft approaches that Kevin Durant is coming.
1: Yeah. In terms of like a pure asset decision, though, if we're taking the Knicks part out of it, I think I would rather have RJ than the eight and the 10
0: oh definitely there's the and that speaks to this draft specifically but rj's ceiling i think is the second highest behind zion
1: i we probably should have just said that part first before we did the other (laughs) yeah
0: well going in a lot of directions here but anyways live from the gondola we do our best work in the gondola (laughs) ben until later this week we both fly tomorrow but we'll check in from
1: the bay Guys, thanks so much for putting up, up with us with these late night podcasts. You know, I posted that video on my Instagram at Ben ben.goliver. Andrew, we got dozens of people messaging me on Instagram to say thanks for putting in these late hours. I thought that was really nice of all you guys to take time out of your day to to let us know you appreciate these late night podcasts. We're having a blast doing them, and we'll keep them coming for the rest of this series and beyond. Andrew, they can email us openfloormail at gmail.com. openfloormail at gmail.com. We got a little wacky there with the Timberwolves questions and the RJ Barrett questions. That was great. We want to hear more like that. Send Go those in. The
0: league, you know?
1: Let's do it. Let's hit all thirty teams. <laughs> uh, except <laughs> all for the 30 Lakers. Teams
0: in the middle of the NBA finals.
1: Except for the Lakers. And also we're on Apple Podcasts. Look for our page by searching for open floor. That's two words. Find that page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy Andrew. like i said last time above 1700 reviews i'm walking down the streets of toronto and people are saying there's the guy with all the reviews it's been really flattering (laughs) canadians are are known for being very friendly and it's really come through and and it's a lot of because of the guys the reviewing that you guys are doing so keep that going
0: how much poutine have you eaten since you've been here
1: i've had four different types of poutine um one of them was burger king i should not admit that oh wow (laughs)
0: that must have been such a sad meal
1: There's been a few sad meals on this trip, and also
0: you don't eat meat, so you were just eating poutine from Burger King. Is that correct? uh, They don't have any like vegetarian options beyond uh, that, do they? Onion rings. Oh god, (laughs) (laughs) that's the the, unquestionably the saddest meal of the NBA (laughs) season. Ben (laughs) Goliver live in Toronto. Look, there you go.
1: Bottom line, I was like three hours deep in the Ontario forest. Maybe we should talk about that trip on the next episode. But I didn't have a lot of options, and that was my last resort. it was that or not eating for 48 hours straight i pushed it to like 36 and then it got pretty dire
0: well this is what we go through to get the podcast to the people yeah so, so.
1: thanks guys for listening thanks for sticking with us we will come back um uh, later this week after what game three yeah sounds awesome andrew until then i will talk to you
0: all right man